Hello, drunk therapy people. Uh, I don't know if they actually call you that. Um, I hope you're all well, though, man. It's been a crazy couple of months. I say that, it's been four months. It's just kind of flew by. But uh, I hope you're all getting back to normal and doing things that make you happy and passionate because I've been gouching on the couch a lot. Uh, I was unemployed for a wee bit of this as well. And uh, it feels nice to get out and just have a pint or see your mates and go for some food. I think that's uh, kind of realigned my, my thought process and what's important. And the simple things are, are, are what makes me happy. So I hope you guys are finding some happiness. And cheers for still listening as well. Because especially those people that listen in the house. Because I know this is probably a commute listen. But those that have stayed with it and stuck us on in their bedrooms or their living rooms or even their back gardens. It's hugely appreciated. And all the shares and all the love you guys give us as well um, is uh, second to none. Don't know who's second to none to. I'm just talking shit now. Um, but we've got a great episode this week. It's with the author of The Young Team, one of the best sellers um, this year. Um, Airdrie born Graham Armstrong um, wrote it. It's all about, as you can imagine, uh, growing up in the violent city that is Glasgow or the Lanarkshire area in this case and everything that kind of comes with that. Um, but we had a really good conversation with him about um, growing up with, you know, Growing up, growing up in and around addiction and uh, the influence lifestyle that, you know, coming from these areas brings and your personality and your journey. Um, and I kind of got into some stuff with them um, and we both kind of shared our experiences in the wrong, uh, in the around drugs, alcohol, addiction, gang fighting. It was a good, good conversation. Um, and Danny and Shane said stuff too. So if it's... If it's what you're into, at the end of this, share it with all your mates. And um, go and buy the book as well, man, because it's a it's an incredible read. Um, I'll, I'll say that for nothing. Don't know why I said I'll say that for nothing. This is, this is weird, man, honestly. I'm in a new studio as well, and I'm hearing myself back for the first time in ages. And I just feel like, I, like I'm, you know, like, see that way when you realise you've got your tongue in your mouth and it starts to... Like, you're like, oh, I'm consistently feeling my tongue in my mouth and then I'm thinking about feeling my tongue in my mouth. That's uh, anyways. Listen to this episode; it's it's decent, and um, I have have a good time. Sorry for doing that's horrible, isn't it? Right, just fucking listen to the episode. The following podcast contains three mates talking shit over some beers. As you can imagine, the language can get a wee bit hairy from time to time. So get involved, grab a beer, and join us for Drunk Therapy, the podcast. Uh, right, it's good, man. It's nice to be doing like good podcasts again we'll get guests in so this one we've got the author of the young team graham is with us uh i just started reading i'm a few chapters in james has read it um i would say it's probably the biggest thing to happen to airdrie since elton john played there a few years ago <laughs> um how are you mate i'm good man thanks for having me boys that's right um, that, see that elton john concert by the way i was just was thinking about that when i came up with that shit line and it didn't sell out and i remember that i worked with people who stayed in airdrie and the reason it didn't sell out was because nobody bought tickets. They all just sat outside the stadium with a carrier and just listened. Mate, one of my mates went to that and he was quite a tough guy, do you know what I mean? He went with his mum, you know what I mean? And we were like, where are you going tonight? And he's like, fucking, I'm going to see Elton John. <laughs> <laughs> and he had to stay there. <laughs> it's too surreal a thing to not go to, but like, even if you're not a massive Elton John fan, you're going to the fucking Shybreak Celsius stadium to watch Elton John just to go, this is weird, man. Like, I usually just see John Martin bouncing about on this pitch, like, I don't know where Elton John's came from. 
Honestly, mate, I think I've I don't I've only been to see an Airdrie game once. I'm not a diamond at all. They're a different species in Airdrie, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I went to see I've I've only been to it was a Hibs Reserves game I went to see at that stadium once. But I've been to uh Albion Overs v Airdrie a couple of times. Oh I it was always sold as me as like, oh, it's it's this like the lower league equivalent of a fucking death match. Old <laughs> <laughs> and, and I oh, went along. <laughs> and Albion Rovers fans are just all it's like kind of one man and his dog thing, and they're just there just to get out of the house. And then you've got like Airdrie with, with their Section B fans, and I think Airdrie would have won quite easily, but they scored, and like five or six of them went on the pitch, and all the Albion Rover fans were just like oh, bloody ruffians. <laughs> mate, mate, honestly, Airdrie's it's not the best team, but honestly, see the casuals, they're, they're the best in Scotland, mate. They form the Section B. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I know some of them, do you know what I mean? But it's just they're a different species, do you know what I mean? They they talk different and we obviously being fair we're predominantly Rangers fans, but they treated us like a kind of different animal, do you know what I mean? It's weird, man. They're a weird they're a weird bunch. There's a there's a strange sense of pride that comes from we're the best in Scotland at fighting other people that follow football, isn't it? <laughs> That's that mate. Airdrie's, uh, the neutrality that Airdrie offers is quite good, right? I've been in a couple of situations in the town, right? And people have been like, Where are you saying? Anybody for the West of Scotland knows that that's a very loaded question, do you know what I mean? When people ask you that it's it's it usually means trouble's coming. And uh, my girlfriend lived in Bridgeton at the time, right? And she was foreign, she was from Finland. And this guy starts up, it must have been about 2 or 3 a.m., right? And a guy came up and he went, where am I? And I was like, fucking hell, somebody's asking me where they are, know what I mean? There's trouble off it, know what I mean? And I was like, Bridgeton, mate. And he's like, what am I doing in Bridgeton? And I was like, oh, no. And I was like, I don't know, mate. Do you know what I mean? Try to wrap the conversation. And he's like, where are you, Faye? And I was like, oh, here we go. I'm like, well, Airdrie's nice and neutral, know what I mean? I don't think there'll be any rivals in, in Bridgeton, right? So I went, I Airdrie, mate. And he went, you fucking section B? And I just burst it laughing. and I went, nah, mate, I'm a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and he just toddled away, you know what I mean? But it was a situation, do you know what I mean? The most the most famous fucking part of Airdrie, Jesus, man. That's the, the main thing I know about the Airdrie as well, section B. So, Graham, mate, thanks for coming on. Um, I was actually I was thinking about you today, and I was going, here's a guy that I... You know, I, I started seeing your book around um, maybe late February, start of March, everywhere. Yeah. I was going, right, this is this seems like something that I would quite happily get in amongst. So I, I made the decision to go and buy it. And then I, I started seeing you popping up everywhere. You were in the news, you were on podcasts, you were all over social media. And I was like, right. And for someone that sets a goal and starts to achieve it, I'd imagine at that point you were getting really excited about everything that was coming your way with regards to the buzz and uh, how you were going to be able to, you know, live, um, not financially, but like in amongst uh, certain events or circles. And just as you were getting to that point, probably the world fucking shut down. How has that been? You know, like the amount of buzz for your book and then everything just shuts down. Frustrating, mate. Definitely frustrating. Like, don't get me wrong, right? Like media and the kind of traditional media, the coverage's been absolutely amazing, mate, and I'm very, very grateful, do you know what I mean? But I had a full summary of events. I was going to schools. I'd started doing work in prisons and all that, right? So I was doing, I was taking my, my message, if you want to call it that, into the community, which is important, right? And then having some commercial success. I, I, they'd booked me to do the Edinburgh Festival, right? Which is massive, mate, for a debut offer, do you know what I mean? Some offers never get asked. And then they had me paired with this Czech guy, sorry, I beg your pardon. And it was honestly just frustrating. There's nothing I can do. You're sitting on your hands, you know. 
Yeah, it's weird, man. It's it's a shame as well because it, as I said, I bought it. It's a it's a very 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 good book, and it's worthy of a debut at the Edinburgh Fringe just off the back of that. And um, reading reading an article about you today, it's not seven years in the making as well. So it's like it's a, it's a lot of work over the over the piece. So it's not just a wrote this you know two months ago and then it's out. It's a, a I mean it's a piece of life work, and then to have it kind of shut down, it's it's a, I'd imagine that's really just frustrating. It is, mate, but see, to be honest, I've still been doing stuff in the background, you know what I mean? You're right, I've been doing the podcast stuff, doing all the online stuff. I've not been creating, which is a kind of annoying thing, do you know what I mean? Like, I can't, once the book's done, it's just promo and buzz, and then, and then it's like, people are like, what, what's next? And I kind of laugh, and I'm going, fucking hell, do you know what I mean? Like, I've just worked seven years, but people want more, do you know what I mean? So I need to get on number two, um, and I've, I've done nothing over lockdown, mate, not creatively, which is a shame, but. I, think I was going to say, just to flip that though, is there, I mean, it's getting a bit more positive with like getting out of this and, you know, the stages are coming and each phase gives us a bit more freedom. Is there a plan from anyone or like, I don't know, your agent or managers or people representing you to go, all right, we're back on this. I know it was a wee bit of a stumble. Are we getting back onto it? Is there a plan for that? Or is it kind of just fuck right the second book kind of thing? I think to be honest with you, mate, it relies on public performance. So it's looking unlikely that there's going to be any crowds gathered legally um, this, this side of this year, do you know what I mean? So it's fucked me. I need to get back on the creative thing, you know? So, And we always cry for time, and now we've got loads of time, and I'm just sitting scratching my fucking balls, you know what <laughs> I mean? So um, You only really appreciate time, though, when you don't have it. That's it. I need you get... pressure, mate. I need pr- time, is, time is no good. When I need pressure, do you know what I mean? I need deadlines. Like, I used to sell cars, mate, so I worked six days a week. So I'd work like seven days a week, do you know what I mean? And I was much more productive. See, when it comes to just sitting doing nothing, I just vegetate, mate. I just sit and do nothing, man. So You need to draw good. from other energy as well. But I suppose to just round it back for anyone that doesn't uh, know about your book, you know, can you give us a wee bit of insight into it? Hi, of course. Um, so my name's Graham Armstrong. Um, I'm from Airdrie in North Lanarkshire. If you don't know where that is, it's just outside Glasgow. Section um, B. Section B. Uh, <laughs> What was I going to say? So um, I too kind of rough industri- former industrial towns. Um, I spent my teenage years in the gang culture there. And then I was very lucky that I ended up going to university um, in Stirling. So I went there. I did an honours degree. I did a master's degree. I started writing my own um, my book to tell my story. And then seven years later, the young team was, was born. And that's me, mate. That took us right to March. So, see, when you talk about the gang culture, can you elaborate yeah. a wee bit on that, mate? Um, I mean, as yeah. a former uh, gang member myself, <laughs> that sounded uh, quite American there, didn't it? You know, but I, I was a, I was <laughs> a member. Of a gang member. <laughs> <laughs> gang, gang banger. Uh, no, because I, I was a part of a, a gang when I was younger as well. So, let's just uh, see what your experience was like. So, basically, like, um, it was just it was young team culture and everything that was, was going out with your pals, getting mad with it, you had a group identity, you had names, do you know what I mean? Um, and then you battled with people, you know, there was violence around you, taking drugs all the time, fighting in the street, drinking in the street, I get expelled for school, um, you know, it got quite serious, so it wasn't just gang warfare, it was everything, the whole package, you know, so it was drugs, alcohol abuse, addiction, um, and then just that sliding scale of just going down and down and down, you know, so... Yeah, to put this in context, is that 
So James on this podcast makes it sound like he used to fucking roll with Stringer Bell and even Barksdale, right? <laughs> but, it's, but he's reformed now. He's a, he's a suburban man. He's a suburban middle class man. What I, I used to hang, <clears throat> I, I fucking grew up in Lindsay, right? So I was part of the Lindsay equipment. I wasn't part of it. I hated it. But I hung about the streets and drank with my pals. But they thought that they were in a gang, but they weren't. They were wee guys for Lindsay. But it's funny reading like just the opening five or six pages of that book. There's kind of like a bit of a, a nostalgic sort of retro twang. A lot of like I recognise a lot of the stuff, but it was nowhere near as as extreme as probably both of you has experienced. I was kind of like, see when Will Smith went from Bel Air to his new house. Yeah, <laughs> that would have been like the kids that Will Smith started hanging about with when he moved, but they thought they were like the gang kids, but they just they just weren't. But it's, it's funny when you say of, that, Danny, right? Because like I, when I look at we guys, right? Like when you read the beginning of this book, in a few pages you're going, fuck, this is quite serious, right? But see if we had to look now 30 years old looking at 14 year olds, you'd go, they're we fucking guys, do you know what I mean? But actually when you're in that circumference and you're doing it, it's dangerous, you know what I mean? And it, it was serious. So I take that point completely. Um, that, that is funny, you know. They let that, me manage our heroes, you know. Yeah, and that that was what I hated that everything about it, but because it's like you've got the police, you're always on edge about the police, you're always on edge about fucking fights breaking out. And even as like a wee 14 year old, I was like, this is shite. Like, I've got an empty house because my dad's away all weekend, so I can just sit in the house and do not get caught up in any of this. But it was just sort of the standard, but I don't know what we guys are up to now at that age, but it seems like that side of, that cultural side of things seems to be dying out, that nobody's really drinking in the streets and fighting anymore. It's, um, that, that's the, that is the kind of, that's the, the line you hear for everybody, mate, that, you know, gang culture's gone, Scotland's fixed, there's nothing, but it's, it's kind of like, it mutates and it morphs, mate, and it evolves, do you know what I mean? Because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. Yeah. And like young ones, you're right, like that territorial gang culture and all the guys hanging wearing tracksuits and hanging about the corner, that has changed, but it's evolved into other things, do you know what I mean? And like some of my other work and try to work with the violence reduction and all that, let's try to find out what is going on. And you, you might find it funny, right? But see young guys now, they're being inspired by London roadmen, right? So they're riding about on bikes, they're wearing all black. They're wearing balaclavas. I guarantee you, see, if I'd walked down here with a balaclava on and all black, my pals would be like, is that fucking Shinobi or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> do, you know, do you know what I mean? Like, they're riding about in pedal bikes. It's, it's, honestly, it's like top boy culture has come up here. It's crazy, mate. So, at the start, and this is a bit foreign to me, because in New Zealand, gangs are, are big, but they're also, there's two of them, and they're, whole country wide but there's not really that kind of local kind of community i'm from this place i stay here right, right, right. does it start off as just you and your mates and it's the cool thing to do or is it a bit more of a necessity kind of thing um i think it's both mate do you know what i mean like it's not like like blood in blood out do you know what i mean there's no initiation you just like hang about you turn up you drink and then you become one of the you're like one of the wee boys and then you become one of the older ones do you know what i mean and when you're one of the elder ones, there's a lot of onus on you. So it's obviously selling drugs and fighting and all that. But there's no, it's not formal, do you know what I mean? Yeah. In that way. But I don't know. What's your experience, James? Oh, I was just thinking that how lucky I was because I didn't get as deep into it. I mean, I come from uh, Bologna, uh, Springburn area in North Glasgow. Yeah. And yeah. I've been witness to a hell of a lot, like a soap opera style life, you know, um, and uh, drugs, you know, gang violence, you know, domestic abuse and all that, um, and from forms viewing it, not uh, experiencing it. 
Um, and my experience was, because mine's is twofold, I, I was probably more violent when I was into hip-hop than I ever was when I was a wee guy in a gang, you know, I was in the gringo, which was just kind of uh, part and parcel of identity culture, you know, you're from an area and you represent that territory, and you're a wee Ned and you're, you're fighting for that territory, but... Our manifestation of that when I was like 12, 13, 14 was chasing, you know, we got to the point where we chase you here, you chase you there, we'll throw bricks at you, sometimes people square go, but that was maybe 14 to 16 year olds, Um, and I was lucky because my dad did the Chinese deliveries around about the Red Road Flats, um, that area, and if the gang fighting was on, I really, really had to work hard to sneak down and join in because he was fucking everywhere, and if he seen me, he'd be like, you, in the motor. Um, so I probably was well lucky enough to only be down at the Red Road Flats when we were fighting the Germiston about uh, 10, 15 times. Um, and I, I was lucky that I never succumbed to any proper violence. But then when I got into hip-hop, you know, I kind of I let loose and I was probably fighting every other weekend with people in the, the middle of town. Grown men, you know, I was like, I, I could have been 15 I was fighting grown men in the middle of town because we're just a bunch of, you know, rogues uh, down there. Um, and then other than that, it's one of the one of the things I liked about your your book is it touched on many experiences I've I've, I've uh, witnessed and been part of myself, you know. And the drug culture was uh, was a huge um, part of my experience and exposure growing up. You know, I, I could have uh, I, I probably if I was a different mentality, I would have graduated towards selling drugs rather than graduated towards uni and college and uh, doing creative things. Um, and I, I was witness to a lot of the the main drug dealers in the north of Glasgow throughout my my teenage years. You know, to the point where there was guys that I was gang fighting with when I was fourteen that had been part of major investigations and stories and some of the most famous crimes that have happened over the past 10 years, you know, um, been involved in that in some way or other. Yeah. And I sit and look and I go, wow, fuck, man, they were my best mates when I was 14. If I didn't have my dad running about that area or my big brother didn't go down the path and expose me to some other things that I stayed away from or if hip-hop didn't influence me enough, then I could have been straight down that, straight in that car that time that guy got shot or that guy got stabbed or they got... Um, they got caught with, you know, thousands and thousands of pounds worth of drugs. So that's that's what they say. Like people said to me, you know, like how how serious did it get? And I went, well, see, serious and organised crime. They don't recruit for the Boy Scouts. Do you know what I mean? Like you, <laughs> you're in young teams, and then you become part of that world. Do you know what I mean? And it's like this, it's a sliding scale. Do you know what I mean? And I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I had friends that would then graduate onto that, but my path detoured. Do you know what I mean? Because they. I read train spotting and I went to uni, so I was still involved, mate. And my, the worst violence and all that was still to come, but I had I had made that detour. Do you know what I mean? So I was on the road to something different, you know. And that's why I went new at twenty eight. I'm teetotal. I've not took drugs for seven years. You know what I mean? So did you? Um, so did you find yourself? Because that the was points. You know, I'm talking about. Um, I'm talking about my late teens. Um, you know, I, I'm still finding my, my myself in in gaffs where there's, there's cocaine everywhere, you know, somebody's selling it where, uh, and I, I hate to be dishonest because you never know when something like this gets picked up and an employer hears it or something, but somebody's selling a gram of cocaine and then they'll take the 0.2 grams and they'll sniff it and they'll get, because the bag brings it up to a, a gram. And I'm, I'm sitting with people in a house like this and we're just sitting all night doing that 
and then I'm going in runs with them. And I'm thinking, that's not my life. I'm just, I'm being immersed into this culture because these are my mates. These are the people that I still feel a strong identity and affinity to. And I'm like, but you're at college, you've got different t- types of goals. So were you in this juxtaposition as well where you were like, I know that I can do better and I'm going to do better for myself, but I'm still an amongst us. Mate, I still am. Do you know what I mean? Like it's um, just because you're not involved. Do you know what I mean? Doesn't it mean that your pals aren't still on it? Do you know what I mean? Like using drugs and obviously being involved with commerce of drugs. Um, but it does. It makes me really uncomfortable, mate. And it's not because I'm like Dudley fucking do right. Do you know what I mean? It's just because um, you know I. <laughs> at the other week I was on a panel with operational police officers. Do you know what I mean? Like you can't be both. Do you know what I mean, mate? Like you can't just leapfrog between. You need to commit, and then I've chosen to be the other side now. So. My mate's like, you're a fucking narc, and I was laughing, right? <laughs> and I thought that was hilarious, do you know what I mean? And I was like, shut up, you dick, you know what I mean? Yeah, I was like, all I'm trying to do is save lives, you know what I mean? I was like, I don't care who's selling drugs, I don't care who's taking drugs, right? If somebody wants to stop taking drugs, right, and they need help or they need a pathway, do you know what I mean? So our duty to navigate signposts and try and help people, that's it. So was there a moment for, I suppose this is for both of you, but for, for Graham first, um, you mentioned train spotting there. Was that like your, a seminal moment for you or was there like a moment like when you were hanging about in the street where you just went, fuck this, something different? No, mate, it was reading train spotting. Um, that was the moment for me. Um, and it was pure fate, honestly, because like three of your group had just died to fatal overdose, right? Heron, taking heron. Um, and I was there, right, and I watched one of the boys overdose, right? We didn't know he was taking it, but he took it, right, and he overdosed. And his pals all ran away and left him, right? They were going to leave him to die, you know what I mean? I saved him, mate. I've got an ambulance and all that. I've seen him, like, like in train spotting when he gets a shot of adrenaline and all that. We've seen all that happen, mate. Um, and I was sitting thinking to myself, fucking hell, see if that was me. And I definitely, if I didn't use heroin, right? But imagine it was me who'd overdosed. Who would I phone the ambulance? Nobody would have died. And I remember sitting in a class, right, and I was, I was pure dark, mate. I was thinking, fucking hell, man, this is like, but this is a, the back of beyond, it's dark, man. And then the lassie sitting next to me in my class said, you should date, you should date train spotting for your personal study. And I laughed and I went, oh, that's one of my favourite films. I didn't even know it was a book, man. She's like, it's definitely a book, you should get it. And that was it, mate. I read yeah. it and I was like, oh, wow, man, I need to I, fucking do something with this. i done the exact same book for, was it RPR or something it was called, I think. But the only reason I'd done it was because I wanted to write the word cunt in an essay. I thought it would be hilarious to write the word cunt in an essay. <laughs> but it's uh, yeah, kind of like you. Like I'd seen, I was aware of the film, but the book is just another planet, man. It's, it's a fucking phenomenal book. Exactly. For me, it was probably... Fuck, man. Like, see, getting that first... I, might, I can pinpoint a few different moments um, that kind of changed the scope of my life completely. The first time was... Coming home and finding two packs, Machiavelli seven day theory album on the, you know, hi fi. And I was just like, what the fuck's this? Turned it on. I was just like, that shifted my whole perception of the world. Overnight, I, I kind of disassociated myself from proper gang culture and went complete hip hop. Lucky for me in this topical right now, um, because, um, you know, what's happening in Glasgow and the fascist mentality. But lucky for me, there was a lot of uh, refugees that came into the um, the school at that point. And I got to immerse myself in that culture and sharing those, uh, you know, those interests, which was uh, big hip hop. And that kind of deviated me away from that gang culture. Secondary, you know, I was never, like Graham said, I was never too far away from my mates and all that that were still heavily into drugs. Some, some of them were heavily into um, gang culture still and those people around me as well that uh, were exposed to that. I was kind of meandering my late, uh, my late teens, early 20s and you know I dropped out of like five colleges 
uh, after starting the course for three months and I had no fucking idea what I was doing. This was just at the end of the hip hop group as well. And it was, it was probably my big brother um, getting the jail that overnight twisted my perception and I need to fucking do something with my life. I need to kickstart something here. And that's when I applied for that college course where we met Danny and started radio. Subsequently, I've ended up working in this industry for over 11 years. But those two pivotal moments never happened. Fuck knows where I would be, you know. I could have stayed, try to be a wee Ned, try to immerse myself in gang culture, get further into it. Who knows where I would have ended up. Or I could have meandered a wee bit more. And by that time, when I was when I was that age, I was really hanging about with people that were selling drugs, you know. And involved in that culture and maybe, you know, doing some stuff that I shouldn't as well. But that kind of switched. Completely. How hard is it to, I guess, straddle both lines? Because, I mean, if you're in, say, all your mates are kicking around in gangs and they're still doing the same shit, but Graham, you're saying you were going to go to uni and you had that plan and James, you were like, you know, I want to do something else. How hard is it to kind of, you know, they're your mates. They're still doing the same shit, but you have made a decision to do something else. But, you know, you don't want to, fuck over your mates that you've, you've, you've known them forever. So how hard is it to straddle, uh, you know, straddle both of those lines, I guess, and kind of be their mate, but also try and make yourself better. For me, mate, it was impossible. Um, I couldn't commit to being a university student. Like people used to go like, Oh, what clubs do you go to? And I just laughed. You know what I mean? And I was like, bro, that's not me. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm a uni student by name only. I, I turn up, I go to classes now and again, I do the bare minimum to scrape through, do you know what I mean? And my only pal in uni is also a gang member, do you know what I mean? Who's a drug addict, do you know what I mean? So, you know, I, I basically wasn't at uni, mate, and like, you know what I mean? And I, and I couldn't get away from drugs and see in those last few years, age maybe 19 to 21, like my drug addiction was absolutely out of control, mate. So I, I couldn't commit, do you know what I mean? And I was still going down here every night. I lived in Stirling, I would travel down every night. I'd be ducking and diving, dealing with people that are selling drugs, involved in all that myself, do you know what I mean? So, experiencing so, extreme violence, you know what I mean? And, yeah, so then how did you then get away from it? Because you said you're, you're teetotaling, uh, you know, you haven't touched anything. So how, what made you go, all right, uh, fuck it, I'm, I'm moving away from that side of things? Crisis point, mate. I had crisis point on Christmas Eve 2012. Um, and I've I I talked about it recently, man, uh, very, very honestly. Like, you know, I had, a, I had a spiritual experience, mate. I found God, you know what I mean? And I found him on my knees, mate. And I was on my knees, you know what I mean? And I was, like, taking Valium every day. I was taking 50, smoking 50 pounds of cannabis a day. Um, and I think Christmas is a great leveler, by the way, because you look at life and you go, fucking hell, man, this is grim, do you know what I mean? Like, I came yeah. from a good family. Christmas was always happy. I'm a, a fucking brother. I'd be sitting in a flat with nothing, do you know what I mean? So I hurt crisis point, mate. Broke down, you know what I mean? Prayed for the first time. Maybe it was God, mate. Maybe it was just fucking delusion. But I never took drugs again after that day. Do you know what I mean? I just had a moment, mate, and that was that. I just it was click. That was that saved me, mate. Very and were you lucky. still still kicking with kicking out with your kicking about with your mates, or were you? Yeah, then I like... mate. So for the next three months, basically, I just went social. It was like social distancing, mate. Do you know what I mean? I kept back to yeah. everybody. I got off drugs, and I'd been off drugs before. Do you know what I mean? Like I'd, I'd maybe managed three months, and then I would say, "This is great. You're looking great. Family are all happy." And you just go straight back to drugs. Couldn't get away for the cycle, mate. I felt when I had that moment. Do you know what I mean? Like my life changed completely. I managed it right. So then it went three months, six months. I was still drinking alcohol. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I managed to stay off drugs. Do you know what I mean? Um, and I graduated that summer. They asked me back, so I was already. But I'd started drinking the young team. So in the first few weeks I after all, when I was on my own, right, I just started putting pen to paper. And that was what saved me as well, mate. Do you know what I mean? 
What did your What did your drug habit look like, Graham? So I was mad for party drugs, mate. Like, I took loads of fucking Ekis, Charlie, fucking all that stuff. I was about 13, right? And we went hard, mate. Do you know what I mean? Like, took about fucking 15 to 20 Ekis a weekend. It was it was grim. Smoked dope every single day. Started smoking resin, obviously, then went on to green. Um, my mental health was in fucking tatters, taking panic attacks and all that. Um, but I was very, very fiercely addicted to cannabis, you know what I mean? And like when people go, oh, it's a big laugh and a joke, it wasn't for me, do you know what I mean? Like I was smoking 50 pound, a full quarter of green a day. And then it, like all that sprayed stuff started to happen. So the whole landscape of drugs started to change. Legal highs came. I never touched any of that, do you know what I mean? Legal highs came. Cannabis was always sprayed with that shit. So you couldn't get any good green. So the yeah. prices absolutely skyrocketed and it became 10 pound a gram. You know, so for somebody like me who was smoking seven grams a day, it was I was in drug poverty, mate. I was in, I was in drug poverty. You know, how were you affording that? Student loan, right? And I worked as well, so I had a part-time job, right? So say I earned, I don't know, I can't even remember, like two hundred pound a week or something less than that. And then your student loan on top, right? My mom would put messages in a bag for life just to make sure I ate food, right? And that was I was like I was living like a heroin addict, you know. I said that and somebody went, no, mate, you're just living like an addict, but it was total addiction. Do you know what I mean? It was it's bad. Weird. It was really bad. It's, it's the perception sometimes of people that smoke uh, cannabis and weed, you know, green. Um, the, it's very rarely that you get to see that side of the picture or somebody talks candidly about it being such a form and part of their daily routine. You know, like, I, I remember that. You, you just come in a wee plastic bag. I'd... I'd, I'd a couple of terrible experiences on green and never touched it again because of that. But I, I've got mates that were so reliant on it that it's the first thing they would do when they wake up in the morning. And yeah, it's it's really no good for you. Mate, it's, honestly, it doesn't matter what you're addicted to, whether it's fucking heroin, crack, cocaine. Obviously, they're the most extreme. They're the ones that get all the noise because you die taking them and the violence that surrounds that kind of drugs. Right, but cannabis... Benzodiazepines like Valium, Diazepam, right? See when you're taking them, see when you're taking drugs to come down, you're in a bad way, mate. They're downers, know what I mean? And they can kill you, do you know what I mean? And the epidemic of drug deaths is fueled by that, you know? Because fake ones started emerging. So Valium are prescription drugs, the most prescribed drug in the world, right? America feels that all over because, you know, their benzodiazepines are to calm you down. But people started crushing them up, right? Resetting the pills with this dangerous stuff and it just kills people, you know what I mean? So... What was, oh, what, scary, was what was your mental health looking like? You mentioned that there um, as a result of the drugs during that. What was going through your head? Me, I was, uh, I, I took my first panic attack when I was 16 and I remember it clear as day. I was just sitting smoking weed and it was as if somebody just threw me in a bath of cold water, mate. I was gasping. I just could not fucking breathe. I thought I was going to die. I thought I took a heart attack. Um, and then once you've, once you've got them, mate, it's a curse, do you know what I mean? Because... Then I, th- I struggled fucking flying after that. I was always anxious on planes. Um, and then I think, like, it got better, mate. Like, once I'd stopped using drugs, I was really fat. Do you know what I mean? Um, my mental health improved. Do you know what I mean? And then it got worse again. Do you know what I mean? When I was dead stressed. So it's, it's something you need to constantly monitor. Do you know what I mean? And, like, and work on. It doesn't just go away. It's weird, isn't it? Because I, Danny, you bore witness to my uh, biggest panic attack when I passed out in a Burger King in Buchanan Galleries. <laughs> I actually physically rolled the eyes at the back of my head. But I, uh, 
I, it never goes away. Like the anxiousness of a panic attack. I turned around to Danny in a stag do last year and I said, mate, I think I might die in the next five minutes. It was because I was extremely hungover. But I went, yeah. mate, I'm genuinely worried about dying. I was ready for a full-blown panic attack. And no matter what I do in my life, I can never fully get away from that anxiousness because I've had one and it's, it's seeded in my head. Yeah, the weed thing's been interesting point as well because I was a, like, not to that extent as yourself Graham but I was like a mad stoner for maybe about 16, 8, 20, 21 but it was yeah. that one almighty like whitey I suppose and that's a type of bread almighty whitey but um, I took that like, <laughs> and I just never ever recovered from it, it was like I fucking ended up in an ambulance and all that and as soon as I'd kind of calmed down and got to the hospital I just went home because I knew I'd taken a whitey but that fucking terror and you can't even so much as skin up again without that already getting ready to kick in again. So you know as soon as you take like your first couple of draws of the joint, you're fucked. Like, it's going to kick in. And, and on you go, sorry. No, no, sorry, mate. I was just thinking, see, smoking weed, man, right? See, when you're young, it's a fucking full-time job. Do you know what I mean? It's like, guys, <laughs> man, we need to get our skins. You know what I mean? We need to get dope. You feel like a gangster, right? You're playing about with scales, you're right? And all that, all that nonsense, right? You don't realise, right, that what you're actually putting inside your body is changing the way your brain chemistry works, right? It's changing everything, do you know what I mean? Your outlook in life, your libido, everything, every single aspect of your personality has been changed with that shit you're putting in your body, right? And then see when you stop it, you're like, where's the enjoyment, where's the happiness? All the serotonin and all the good stuff in your brain's fucked, do you know what I mean? You've no enjoyment, no pleasure in life. But how do you tell that to a wee 15-year-old guy when they're sitting like, I know everything, you know what I mean? But yeah. wee man. You've never seen nothing. You don't know what you're talking about. I've Aye. seen two people take psychotic episodes, right? That cannot ever be understated, right? Like, I, I was trying to explain it to a school group, and I'm like, what's the, what's the fucking scariest horror film you've seen? Silence. And I'm like, well, times that by 100, because this is real, true horror, do you know what I mean? Right in front of you. It's fucking terrifying. People just don't realise, mate. Teaching Chong, all the weed stuff, it's nonsense. Yeah, it's especially, and I think it's with green as much as anything. It's it's all the stereotypical things that happen stop happening very soon after you smoke it regularly. You just before you know it, you're just kind of sitting there. You're not doing anything. You're just sitting there doing fuck all. And I, uh, it's it's a weird thing. Like you don't, and uh, that's an interesting thing. You saying that you talk to schools and stuff because we all sit here knowing fine well that we've been that fourteen year old going, I fuck mm. me, heard it. So it's 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 an odd place to be in now that you you're trying to educate those kids. But it's very it's very frustrating, mate. Because I actually one guy we guy was laughing and he was cheeky and I was like, "Wee man, I was you. I was a cheeky wee cunt." And they're all looking about and he said, "Wow, he said cunt in front of a teacher." And I was like, "Wee man, I'm not a fucking teacher." Do you know what I mean? I was lying a fucking toy. I hung about this town. I was in gangs. I'm like, I was one of yours. And I was like, nobody pays me to come here. I'm coming to tell you the sketch. But there's there's no point trying to scare these wee guys, man, because they're they're fearless. They're fearless. They need I mean? to experience what you experience before they change their mind. It's weird. I just got a flashback there when the both of you were talking. <laughs> it's such a sad set of circumstances. Whenever I was doing uh, coke or um, smoking weed, I was always just in my mate's house. It was just about four four guys sitting in a room, either trying to laugh when they're smoking green or taking lines at Charlie and um, listening to music, and I'm going. How fucking shite is that existence? That was every weekend. There was no lassies there. We weren't going out and experiencing anything. We weren't going to clubs or that. We just that was just a four of us in this really dirty fucking flat every weekend doing that. And I'm like, that's a sad, only yeah, fucking existence. 
that's exactly what it is. Do you know what I mean? And it, like, see, when I say to young people, do you know what I mean? Like, you need to dream. You know what I mean? I, I didn't go to the pictures for four years, right? See, when you say that, people laugh, right? My sister said that to me. You've not even been to the fucking cinema in four years. You can't. And I was like, ah, me to have. Do you know what I mean? Mate, I'm not saying we hung about with lassies and all that, but did we take them out? Did we have a bear? No, because we were fucking drug addicts, do you know what I mean? And we sat in gas, do you know what I mean? Violence is all around you. And you're stupid, he, that, that's meaningless, it's, but it's daft. It was such a waste of time, I'm very, like, I feel like I lost my youth, you know what I mean? That's, a, that's sad, mate. Same, same, honestly, like, it was, it was, I was 19 before I even went to Edinburgh, <laughs> I mean, that, that's where I quit, man. You're not, you're not messing with <laughs> I know, but it's weird, like, the amount of uh, stuff that's in Scotland that we could have went and done when we were younger, or, I was lucky enough in my early 20s to, you know, realise, um, that there was a world outside Glasgow, and I went with a few of my mates, and travelled through Europe when I was in uni and stuff, and I was just like, this is exposing me to so much, and mm. I've grown from then, even though I was still at points dipping in and out of other things, but it's just, it's absolutely mental. Graham, how did you, I mean, I battled addiction, it was uh, gambling, and I've documented it plenty on this podcast, but how did you, uh, like, did you just go cold turkey and use your own strength for will, or did you have a support system when you came off of drugs, especially that time of year when um, there's no, so mate, much? Like, I had tried and failed, right? And like two of my mates went on the same kind of cycles, right? So they bought it, right? I'm coming off it. And it, it was kind of like train spotting, you're like, all right, no, I mean, they bought And then they would manage a week, and you're like, right, I'm a week off it, no, I mean? And then see two weeks, mate, their face would change, they would be looking good. And you would look at them and you'd go, fuck, man, he's cruising. I want a bit of that, you know what I mean? So then you'd go off it, right? But two months later, right, the boredom kicks in. And it was about that cycle. It was between two and three months, right? So you'd be sitting, man, and you'd be like, I fucking go a wee Bobby Boucher, right? That's what it used to call buckets, you know what I mean? A wee Bobby, you know what I mean? A wee bucket or something. And then he'd be on the phone, right? And but see when you like yourself, right? And you're like, right, I can manage it now. So I'm going to take one bucket and I'm going to smoke two joints a day. That's it, right? And then within a week, the fucking 20 joints and fucking 15 buckets and all you did, you know what I mean? You're just going straight back on it. And that's what we did, mate, do you know what I mean? And then I had tried, right, and see my mom. She hated drugs, right? She supported me every step of the way. She believed me when I told her I was half it, right? And then I would come back one night, my fucking eyes would be all red. She would take one look at me and she'd be heartbroken, mate. Do you know what I mean? Because every single time she thought, this is his time. He's, he's done it, you know what I mean? He's done really well. He's not doing all the stuff. He's not stealing. That, mate, if you're a drug addict, you steal for your family, you know what I mean? It's, it's shit, do you know what I mean? But that's what you do. And then I would go straight back. And within a couple of weeks, I'd be fucking back to the same old time, you know what I mean? And then on Christmas Eve, mate, it was, that was fucking match point for me. I knew if I ever took drugs again, I wasn't coming back. That was that. It was my one chance, mate. And it's, it's it's really interesting hearing you guys talk about like marijuana as like this addiction because like where I'm from it's it's the most socially accepted drug because we don't really get cocaine and stuff we've got meth which is like pee mm-hmm. which is really fucking bad and then it's just generally accepted that everyone knows that everyone smokes a bit of pot from time to time so it's it's a weird kind of thing to hear it like you guys talking about it like quite negatively because where I'm from genuinely like we. We're going to be legalizing it very shortly. And you, everyone, like you know, smokes a bit. Like if you're at a party and it doesn't matter who you're with, you can be with, you know, doctors, accountants, lawyers, whatever, and you pass a joint round, um, everyone will have a wee nudge on it. But I, I guess that's the difference because it's more of a recreational drug, whereas the one that is addictive in New Zealand is about 20 steps worse. It's, you know, it's, it's either hot or fucking pee. And, and pee 
kills people it ruins people it's just the nastiest thing in the world but it's, it's quite interesting hearing a different perspective on marijuana because to me like i don't like it i don't really like it but i've smoked it i've sold it from time to time you know to me it's just a bit of a fun one but i don't know i guess it, it, we have a different perspective coming from a different side of the world and you guys have access to all these other things so it is probably quite a gateway thing here where it goes oh but a bit of pot and you can get some other stuff and it just leads to other things whereas in new zealand it's you're either having this little fun one, it's like having a cheeky beer, or you're, you know, proper drugs, and those are the ones you need to be worried about. I I know exactly what you mean, mate. And honestly, like, see the uh, the media and all that, the treatment of cannabis, right, and films and all that, it, it devalues it, right? It just makes it, like, a staff thing. Everybody's getting a wee smoke, man. It's a laugh, right? But yeah. fuck me, do you know what I mean? Like, when you've seen somebody take a psychotic episode, mate, it was terrifying. I was fucking terrified and I was fearless then, do you know what I mean? I was like, wow, man. Um, but I know what you mean, do you know what I mean? It's, it's continually underestimated. And I would yeah. say, right, for personal experience, there's no safe substance abuse. Right? Legalisation, right, it's sweeping across America now, right? It's a big fucking cash cow, mate. It's a big money business, do you know what I mean? So people are like, we don't give a fuck. Do you know what I mean? If you take a psychotic episode and go and kill folk or kill yourself, like, this is fucking Coca-Cola money, do you know what I mean? We're, like, we're going to make b- billions off this stuff. You know what I mean? And the UK are now thinking about doing the same, do you know what I mean? There was Tory party MPs on day, had like an envoy out there, do you know what I mean? Talking to all the cannabis production and all that. And you'll notice CBD is the new fucking miracle cure for everything. And by yeah. the way, I'm not saying it's no. I'm sure there's science in that and I'm sure there's some validity in it. But that's just to say that the legal byproduct of illegal cannabis is a good for us. So, you know, why not just legalize it and we can make money? You need education when it comes to these things as well. Like you said, you know, there could be somebody that smokes, uh, you know, marijuana, cannabis, uh, weed the whole life and then that's fine. And they do it... uh, they don't do it incessantly like uh, other people would, you know. I, I suppose excess is the, the biggest difference oh, maybe in the recreational use of it in New Zealand, Shane, versus we guys getting up and smoking 12 joints a day, you know, and taking buckets as well. But they need educated. It's one thing that Amsterdam's good at. Um, when you go as a tourist, uh, the last time I was there, I didn't touch anything because I know I can't handle it. But when you, you sit down with these people in a cafe, they're like, so what strength would you tr- like to try? Here's what it does to you. This this is meant to make you mellow. And then it gives you an insight into what it is you're taking. Whereas no one fucking, like, when you're going to buy a, a bag of weed or something, you have no idea where it's come from and what it's going to do to you. So if they're going to legalize it, they need to educate you. You, you need to know what you're ingesting. You need to have certain... Um, certain amounts that you'd be, you know, taking into your system. And then, I, I mean, this is dream world scenario, but somebody monitors you and goes, right, cool, here's, here's a set of results. You're not really meant to take this. This is an adverse effect on your body. And that's, that's a dream world mate, scenario. It's no, it's no dream world because, see, in uh, Europe, right, they used to do pill, test your pills. So you could say you bought 20 eckies for you and your mates or 50 eckies and you were going to arrive, right? You could send them away, pill report, man, send them away. They'd test them, safe, no shite in them. Have a good weekend, guys. Do you know what I mean? Drink plenty of water if you're sweating and if you're no, then don't. Do you know what I mean? But we are very draconian about drugs. And by the way, I'm not a big legalisation thing, because I've seen fucking true horror on drugs and I've seen people die. And for me, legalisation, like, we have pricks in this country. Like, we don't do moderation. Do you know what I mean? I've got Italian family, mate, and they go and drink wine. They ain't drinking Buckfast and fighting. Do you know what I mean? Like, they just have a good time. You know, yeah. alcohol is a byproduct of socialising, whereas we socialise is a byproduct of going out to consume alcohol. Do you know what I mean? 
Yeah, that's that's what we've been kind of talking about with the as we're kind of easing out of the lockdown and all that stuff. Is that people are saying on oh, Europe, or oh, they've had they can go to pubs and they can go to bars and you're going, but they've got a completely different culture for drinking for us. They'll have like two or three beers and then go up the road. Whereas here, it's like a competition. See if like a pub opens up here, and it will in the next couple of weeks, and you've got a two-hour window. That's not right. We can get a couple of pints and chill out and catch up. That's that's a challenge. That's how much can we fucking tan in this two-hour window, and that's like the difference. And it's probably the same with drugs as it is alcohol. It's not being a moralist, right? And anyway, right? It's not for me to do that. Obviously, I've just been dead candid about my past. But look at fucking the beach down south. Look at Kelvin Grove Park, right? There's a fucking pandemic killing hundreds of thousands of people. People don't give a fuck, mate. They're just like, boozing, causing chaos. Do you know what I mean? We just don't get it, right? Our culture, when people compare us to Amsterdam, I'm like, the Dutch are Europeans, right? Continental fucking Europeans. The way they live their life is not us. Do you know what I mean? They don't go, like, I don't know, mate. We are just crazy people. Do you know what I mean? We don't do moderation. Do you miss it? <laughs> not, dr- not drugs, but I know you... <laughs> I, fucking, yeah, I, miss, mate, I, miss a lot, I miss a lot of things. Um, I miss fucking rolling about in gangs. I miss camaraderie. I miss my pals. Fucking, I miss that brotherhood. I miss being fleeing out your nut dancing at parties. I miss drinking wine. Um, but all the bad... But that's the romantic version of the story in my head. That's not the reality, do you know what I mean? I do not miss being rough. Like, all my pals sat up on last night, they're taking gear, they're fucking drinking all night. Because I look in the group chat in the morning, it's like fucking 5 and 6 a.m., the messages, and I'm like, these cunts never went to sleep, do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's I don't like... miss that. I, don't, I do not miss the way they fucking felt this morning, do you know what I mean? I just fresh a daisy, so. Yeah, that's the, that's the when you're up at four in the morning. Well, I mean, that's a good sketch of it. That's what he's just trying to talk to that guy in the party. But for us, I suppose the the version of that is looking at your uh, messenger at four in the morning going, right, they were active seven minutes ago, maybe they'll answer me. You know, you're just trying any way you can to get a bit of human contact. Yeah, the romanticised thing's a good way to look at it, because some of the notes that I took from, from what I've read to the young team so far was that it's stuff that when you're a, you were a wee guy seemed like the, the best thing, or you made these like promises or vows to yourself. So the ones that I've got is that every... So a young team, every gang you hung about with had that creepy older guy that you didn't realise yeah. was a creepy older guy. So you're yeah. 14 and you think this guy's cool as fuck he's 20, 21. And then you get to an age <laughs> and you go, that's an old guy hanging about with Wayne's and doing like fucking effing. There was, there, was, there was one of those guys, mate, and I was laughing, by the way, because we were talking about him last night and this house I was on, right? And fucking, this guy was a, he was actually, he actually ended up killing himself in jail. This guy hung himself, right? And he was a very dodgy guy, right? But he was one of these older guys, just like you say, committed jail. He moved up to our scheme. He ran about with a young team. And I remember, I was telling a story last night, and he was kind of, he started fighting with one of the younger ones. Ones walked to a broom, like the shaft of a broom, and said, Do you think you're Johnny Bravo? And snapped the broom over his head, right? <laughs> And we were laughing at that, right? Because it was just funny as fuck, do you know what I mean? But this guy had like a terrible wife, you know what I mean? And oh, mate, I don't know. But I totally, there was a loads of kind of older hanger on. They're probably guys my age that just never quit the young team. Aye, but they're like, not I was going to say gods in these kids' eyes, but these kids think that they're the fucking coolest cunts and they get to any age. Uh, the other one I got was jumping in for a carrier. So when I was like 14, mm. I vowed, I was like, I will never say no. I will always like, <laughs> because I've waited for hours in the pissing rain for somebody to jump in for a carrier. And the first 
time that I'd done it is the only time that I'd done it. And I was out walking, I wouldn't have long turned 18. I was out walking with my dog, and these it was two wee guys came up and went, mate, go jump in for a carry out for us. I, no worries, Woody's one. And the two wee guys then turned around and went, here, this guy's going to go in for us. And about fucking 10 other kids emerged from nowhere. And they're like, right. So I ended up, I'd been better going to a fucking cash and carry. And I was like, <laughs> the, the guy was just looking at me. And I'm going, I'm fucked. Like, he's going to phone the police. I'm buying like half bottles of wine, full bottles of wine, bottles of Mad Dog, fucking cheap cider. And I'm having to kind of like, shiftily be like, oh, just having a, a house party the night. Making <laughs> <laughs> orders. And Did you... Did you get a bung for it? I always, I always thought that you, no, when you did that, you said, oh, take a couple of quid for yourself or buy yourself something. That was the interesting thing about like in the book, because like, like, in the story, like the guy, everyone chips in a pound, so the guy going in can then get himself a carry with it. No, we never done that. That never even crossed my mind to, to ask for anything like that. There was one of the junkies up here, right? See if he got you five bottles of wine, right? He'd bought that, right, boys, five bottles of buck, right? There you go. Hand them out, right? And then see the last one. He'd bought that. Just got to take a wee neck at it. And he's like, that fucking iron brewer. And oh my God, he would drink a bit of it, right? And one drink, and he'd be like, here you go, son. And some cunt be staring at this thing like, ah, I'm not fucking drinking that, man. That cunt slaps have been on it, man. Fuck that. I'm like, fucking geez it, no, I mean, just wipe it. But it was pure drama, by the way, all that. I remember I asked this guy, I'm like, why hop in the shop for us? And he went, hop, do you think I'm a fucking frog? <laughs> I was like, I don't give a fuck in the shop. <laughs> Aye, it's, it was like... It would take hours, man, and because folk understandably wouldn't want to do it. And no, mate, was, I've never done it. I would never do it. I'd just say uh, sorry, we man. Uh, that was, that was <laughs> my <laughs> one and only. And then it was weird because by the time I turned eighteen, it was eighteen to buy fags. So you then had kids going, mate, going to like, jump in and get me fags, and you're like, no, because like, you're a wee guy. Yeah, like, you don't see even when that happened. See when that happened. I used to say to them, right. We are my fags, right? I bought a wine. He's like, no, we man, no yeah, idea, no drink. I'm like, well, you're giving us the fags. And he went, right enough, he just gave us a drink and honour, mate. <laughs> <laughs> See, I never drunk till I was like 18, so I, I missed all that. Like, I just, I fucking, I'd, I'd had a, my granny was an alcoholic and I think it kind of put me against it. And I was just a hyper wee fucker anyway, you know, like I, I didn't need a drink to go from fucking not to 60. Did, but, did you have, uh, well, maybe not so much for you, James, you didn't drink then, um, but did you have a, a guy in a shop that just didn't give a fuck and would, Mate, I looked fucking aggress, fucking five, six inches in a year, right? I could get sell oil of the shop, know what I mean? I was like the fucking guy, you know what I mean? We used to jump on the bus, we'd go down and get a healthy cargo, right? And then we'd walk back. And that kind of inspires some of the stuff in the book, like that mission to go and get drink, you need to dodge the police, get a fucking mon or that. Other young teams, random psychopaths that were on the fucking rotation air do you know what I mean? Did it you ever get arrested, Scream? Oh, mate, I was in the sales all the time. All the fucking time. I swear to God, I was in the fucking sales. I, I, I just used to say, I'm not fucking running, man. And two minutes later, you'd bought that fucking hands behind your back. Jesus. Handcuffs, I mean. Did you ever come close to getting, like, you know, convicted of anything? Aye, mate, I got convicted, man. I've got a criminal record and all that. No, I mean, but, like, um, and I was up. But because I get expelled for school, right, and it was, uh, that automatically generates you a social worker, right? So, like, my mom's a decent mom and all that looked after us and then there's a fucking pair of social workers coming, man. She's like, you're a fucking, you're like, what is happening here? And I was like, but they kept me out of moment, mate, do you know what I mean? Because I racked up about 15 charges and then every time they would just say, he's going to further education, he's stayed on at school, so we're not going to send him to the children's reporter and the case get dropped, mate, NFA, no further action. See, when... I, was, I was mad lucky, man. 
see when you were uh, obviously there's there's two halves of you here you know there's a half of you that's just a complete menace mate like a complete wee ned that it sounds it that doesn't give a fuck and then there's that guy that ended up at Stirling Uni so see through this were you still just kind of naturally smart or sticking in at school going ah, I'm interested in this I want to keep going I want to see where this like goes to mate I was under the illusions right that if I didn't go to uni right if I didn't get in I was fucking probably going to die. You know what I mean? That's how mad I was. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't care about my cellmate. My dad died when I was young. I was very reckless. You know what I mean? The way I drank alcohol. I posted a video on my Twitter the other week and me dan- tanning about a buck fast in 17 seconds. I used to do that all the time. I just didn't care about my cellmate. You know what I mean? And like when they told me, right, after reading Train Spotting and having that moment, right, when, when one uni, 85, gave me a conditional, right, it was like fucking hell, man. I could actually survive this. I could have something else. And it was only like that wee tiny bit of light at the end of the tunnel, do you know what I mean? But I was hope, mate, and it gave me hope, do you know what I mean? So then I started, I'm like, I'm going to hit these fucking books, you know what I mean? I was like, I was reading all the time, right? And I remember, see, when I was in fifth, sixth year, obviously all my pals are long gone, right? But I hung about with the young Burgady ones, the Bar G, right? And they were still on it, you know what I mean? And I was one of the only cunts to ever get suspended in fucking fifth year. See, if you get suspended in fifth year, there's a door we man get to fuck, right? And it was for drinking in school and, and starting a big fucking party in a rumpus and all that. I remember and I was like, no man, I need to do this. This is a chance, you know what I mean? This is my chance to do something. And it was fucking me. I, I worked hard, do you know what I mean? But teachers laughed, mate. See, when I said I was going to go to uni, they laughed in my face and they said, no chance, fucking leave school, fuck off. You're one of the bad ones, you know what I mean? You're not doing nothing. And my head teacher was like fucking MacGyver, by the way. He was the real fucking Coach Carter in the flesh. He was like on you go, just fucking keep going and then see when it, see when I passed, right? The school gets the results first and one of our teachers told me this. All the teachers that were saying he's a fucking bad one, he's a troublemaker, get me fucked. He walked in with my results, right? And I got an A for higher English, right? Fucking hell man, it's a miracle for somebody like me. An A for higher English, a B for religion, and uh, a C for history, right? And that was enough to get me into uni and he went in and he threw the results on the table and he went, see there's a boy you wrote off and you threw away. There you go. He's got university, what are you saying about that? Saved my life. Fucking, he was at my book lunch. He's an old man now in his 70s, man, and fucking amazing. It was so touching to see him there, you know what I mean? He was emotional, man. I was emotional too, you know what I mean? So, we, spoke, was, oh. we spoke to Elliot Castro about that, the one teacher that kind of saved your life. It's a beautiful thing. Sorry, Shane, on you go. I was just going to say, so, like, you had that time, fast forward a wee bit, so you'd, you'd gone to uni, you had the, the wee kind of moment on Christmas or Christmas yep. Eve, um, so what happened between then? Because the book was seven years in the making. That must be a I fucking a tricky <laughs> seven years to, you know, you're, Mate, you're writing a fucking, fucking book. It's the biggest thing basically you can do, I guess. So I wrote the majority of the young team, right, between ages 21 and 23, right? So by then, right, I was living the fucking a golden life, mate, right? I was fit as fuck. I was cycling all the time, right? I went to like 15 stone to 12 stone. I was a fucking athlete. I wasn't drinking alcohol much. I was seeing my pals now and again, but I started going with Alassie, man. So she was foreign. She was from Finland, the one I told you about. Um, and then I just went into a couple of graduate jobs. So I worked in the mountain sports industry, worked for Decathlon. I left there. I ended up going into the motor trade. So I was working car rentals, working all the time. I made myself sick with work. I was working fucking crazy hours. Um, and then I just I just hopped between them. So when I get stressed out and I get sick and all that, I would go back to the mountain, right? And that's nice and calm, chilled out working in shops, retail, and then I would I would need money, mate, so I would go back to selling cars. And that's all I did. But I just kept going, fucking kept going, kept going, kept going. And one of my tutors was quite a famous poet. 
very famous poet, and I met her just the year before, right? So this is six years, and she's like, oh, how did you get on with that book? Are you still writing it? And I says, aye, man, but you could just tell in her face, like, it's fucked, do you know what I mean? Gee up, right? No, tell me, gee up, but she didn't have any belief that it was going to happen. Yeah. And honestly, see, messing her to say Picador had bought it, she was fucking ecstatic. She's like, I cannot believe it. I'm so fucking happy for you. Um, but, mate, it was pure faith, honestly, and I just kept getting it in my head. This is a fucking war. You need to keep going. There's stuff riding on this book, more than just writing a book, you know what I mean? It was a message and all the story, man. So I just kept going and going and going and going. I read somewhere that you um, you put it out to about 300 different fucking publishers. How, I, I mean, was that like disheartening going, fuck, did you ever think like this book's not a thing, even though you've finished it, you're fucking proud as punch, but you're, you're throwing it out and you're just getting no's. Like how hard was that? You know, you're still, you're working in the car trade. People are going, oh, how's that book going? How hard was it to keep going? Fuck yes, I'm going to make this and that. This is going to be See my family, my mom, she was like, you need plan B. It's time for plan B. And I went, yeah. fuck that. It's, it's young team or fucking nothing. It's bust. <laughs> no plan B for me. And that's what I used to say, mate. And see when I message story, people, oh, nice. You know, it's good work, blah, 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 whatever, fucking. And then some of them were quite cheeky. And they're like, Graham, it's still an know this year. And I went, that's fine. See you next year. You can't. I'll fucking apply again. And I Do just you- did that. Were you editing it down every year or were you keeping it the I same? I made no, no, I edited it because this was actually three novels, right? It was three full books. It was 250,000 words. It was like the young team, uh, sorry. It was like the Lord of the Rings of the Erdry fucking Neds, do you know what I mean? <laughs> that long. It was that long, right? And uh, a few people had said to me, you're never going to get a trilogy published in literary fiction, right? It's too commercial. You're not going to do it. And, and I didn't believe in me. I was like, I'm sticking to my fucking guns. I'm going to do it. And it was my auntie actually that said, listen, you can't, if you want this fucking book, if you ever see the light of day, you better make it one book and you better do it now. And I was like, oh, fuck's sake, all right. And that's what I did. So I joined it all together, I cut back. And then fast forward to 2018, I got a message from my own agent, Jonathan uh, Rupin, and he said, I'm cautiously optimistic, but I need the immediate commitment to cutting another 50,000 words. So I was like, wow, man, fuck this. And I just phoned in work and I says, I'm not coming in. Fuck off. And I sat for four days and I worked fucking 20, 15 to 20 hours a day. I barely slept. I cut the 50,000 words and he, and he signed me immediately. Is that like, like just cutting chapters out and stuff? Like, like well, this isn't... Are you I mean, going through and going, can I change that? Four words no, was, in one word? Some of it was like that. It was thinning down. I it was thinning down, so I was cutting the fucking fat, right? And then some, they were just lifts. But you need to go through it with a fine-tooth comb and you're like, does that get any repercussions in the story? Like, you know, am I missing out details? It's painstaking, do you know what I mean? But at that point, mate, after six years, I knew this book fucking word for word, do you know what I mean? I'd been over it so many times. Um, and then that was that. No, I mean, we were in, and actually, when we worked together, we cut another 40,000, mate. It's only 110,000. And by the way, that's still a long book. It's nearly 400 pages. So, you see, know. when you're cutting, you, you said it was a trilogy. There's, there is right. points in the book where he jumps up ages, which I, yeah. I, I quite liked, you know, because um, it gives you different viewpoints in his life. Um, was that that then? Were you taking it all the way? No, so the first, book, the first book was 14, the second book was 18, and then the last book was 21. So that was it, aye, mate, 100%. Nice. And this, the stuff that's been trimmed then, is that you can now bank that almost for your next project where you go right okay I've, it's annoying that I've had to lose this but the stuff that I've taken out I can try and make that and improve that for, for future projects a TV producer asked me that recently and he's like I'd like to see the rest of this stuff because we were fucking interested and I was like see that stuff forget it 
That stuff's done. We're not going back here. We're not going back here. We're not going back into that fucking swamp. Do you know what I mean? I agree. You, you must fucking you. There must be a part of you that hates this book by now. Seven years having they look at it. All that. No. Nah, mate, I love that fucking book, and honestly, <laughs> I love it. I fucking love it, and it, honestly, for all the suffering and all the fucking shaman fucking drudgery that was that that old life, and then that journey, mate, that's the fucking golden nugget that came out of it. You know what I mean? The good thing, and people are feeding back to me. It's the first book I've read. They stopped fucking taking drugs because I've read it, mate. That makes it all worth it. You know what I mean? That that's like you've got like. A- poignant thing to make it all worth it but I would have thought as well I was reading a, a Guardian review of it earlier and I would have thought it would be worth it just for that the way like the English folk because we read this and it's just fucking standard chat it's fucking part of we know inside out but to hear like maybe like a, a book critic for down south be like oh and it's the, the Glaswegian poetry and all that <laughs> it's, just, it's just the way we speak but that must be fucking hilarious to hear that being talked about or fucking just the way we talk being talked about Jude, like Jude Cook said the, the, uh, the language slam dances and pirouettes you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> hey I swear to god see somebody fucking messaged me and said you're in the garden today by the way and they don't tell you do you know what I mean it just appeared and I was like wow man fuck me the garden fucking saying it's slam dances and pirouettes I was like, that's fucking, like, that's vindication, mate, because that's all it is, do you know what I mean? But see the language in it, by the way? It's a tapestry, and by tapestry, I mean a gigantic fucking boy. I had to go through every fucking word to that, and honestly, I got to the end, and I realised I'd made a mistake, and I wanted to smash fuck out my computer. I, honestly, I was so angry, man. And, like, see when I use ah for the personal pronoun, I, right, because that's the way we talk. See if you go A-H, I just think that's a bit, like, it's a bit caricature Oh, I went to the shop. I just put all right, but I didn't capitalise them right. And there's no way to do that. So I had to go through every fucking one and capitalise them. And just things like that, they just send you insane. There's like fucking 20,000 as, and you need to go through them on it, man. Oh, man. It's like, what are you up to this week? I'm just going and capitalising A and H. That's exactly. 10 days non-stop. I was sitting down, down in London, man, and I could feel the fucking sweat pissing out my face because I was so angry. It's not that. you. Once you do that, I'd imagine you have to go through again and make sure you've done all you of them. You do, mate. You do, mate. <laughs> You do it, and no matter what you fucking change it, that sounds like the fucking Matrix, man. If you glitch, if you change something, you need to go back and you need to do a proof run. Fuck me, man. So, uh, you get... <laughs> have, you, have you heard from Arvin Welsh? Have you spoken to him? Has he read no, it? Mate. Have you spoken to him? No, I've not spoken to him, mate. No, 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 no. I've not heard. Radio silence for Mr. Welsh, but that's fine. Listen, whether he says he likes it, whether he doesn't fucking say anything, I'll take either as a compliment, do you know what I mean? Fuck it's it. uh, it's lockdown though, isn't it? You know, you probably would have been in a room with him during this uh, three-month period if this uh, hadn't probably, happened. Probably. Um, I, I mean, I pay homage to him by just fucking being here and being alive because his book fucking saved my life, right? But not only that, but obviously I mention him by name and, and I break the fourth wall, right? And everybody talks about that. You know what I mean? I won't spoil it at the end, but I just mention him. It's just a wee bam up thing, do you know what I mean? But I don't know. Uh, well, you know what I'm talking about? No, yeah, I don't I know what you're talking about. I'm not going to spoil it. Um, the another theme that runs through it, mate, and I, I, I don't know. This is maybe I've read this wrong. Is the music? But is this a is this leading towards a second book called Raveheart? Or is that definitely, mate? I so like I'm sixty thousand in now on that one, man. Um, I've been doing that. Do you know what? I, I didn't even realise I've been doing that for three years now, mate. Um, I was like, fuck, and I've just not really been doing it, do you know what I mean? But like, it's a solid story, it's planned out right to the very end of the story. Um, I've just not actually sat down to write it yet. 
And so for anybody that uh, has read the book or hasn't, you know, so one of the themes is that you, you're a massive, massive dance head, like rave music, you know, um, Colors Fest kind of mm. thing, you know. So that's going to bring that forth in the, the next book. And like your local DJs, that's it's brilliant because I went to school with the uh, wee Gary McEff's sister. She was in my she was in my year at school, and I'm seeing them. When you said Dringle, mate, I was like, I was just I laughed because in, in my head, I'm like, it's fucking Gary McEff's. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think I know that. DJ ranking. Say. So I give it that, mate. I love all that. Gives See, a wee bit more insight into their second book, then. Right, so basically the whole premise came about, right, and I was thinking about the skating, right, because that was our first exposure, really, to dance music in a, in a kind of thing, right, I never went to under, so you time capsule, the ice disco, you get your skating boots on, you would go down there, all the birds would be there with all their tracksuits and bear gosses, and it would be fucking, honestly, it was brilliant, right, and I was thinking, who the fuck DJ'd, like, what cunt was playing the tunes, <laughs> and there was, like, a wee booth, right, it was like, you'd go upstairs, and it was a wee booth, you know what I mean, it'd, like, wee neon lights, and I was thinking, who is that DJ, by the way, and I was like, that's the next, that's the character in my book, DJ fucking Wally P to the timey, you know what I mean, <laughs> playing the IB for classics to the YT, you know what I mean, and uh, all st- the whole story starts as he gets sacked, right? He says that you're a fucking, you're a has-been, you're out, man. And he goes home, right? Oh, oh sad, not. And he has a fucking dream vision of Kelly Lorena. She comes to him like an angel and gives him this prophecy that he needs to save the rave. <laughs> um, and he goes on this quest to have this big fucking rave called Scotland the Rave. Um, and he needs to go and get all the talent. And he's got a wee girl, uh, Becca. She's like the uh, party planner and all that. So it's all about trying to get the rave together. And like... It's crazy, man. Like, Mallorca is his guru, right? So he's like fucking Obi Wan Kenobi, like leading them through and all that. And crazy, it's a wacky fucking story. It's wacky, mate. They go to Ecuador, the jungle, and all that. They cut, like, and they fight with frog fucking poachers. It's, it's mad, man. It's, <laughs> it's, it's quite hallucinogenic, you know what I mean? Such beautiful Marabou stuff nightmare <laughs> vibes immediately coming from this. But, yeah, um. did, you, did you ever get into the the diss thing then I, I can't remember if I've asked you this before or not aye, mate. Aye, we used doing aye, the aye, tunes because there's, they're still all up well I say they're still all up you can still find them on YouTube so there's people that I hung about with I was never prominent enough to be dissed unfortunately but and I can't you can't repeat any lines because we'll get cancelled but know, like, know, the stuff that these we look for like, they, they don't realise that they're like getting involved in the creative arts just by fucking mate, absolutely I'm, rinsing I'm honestly right see part of my pe- I've, I'm Going to do a PhD next year, right? And part of it, man, is looking about how music correlates to violence, right? So looking at grime and drill, right? But ours wasn't a fucking rap or hip hop, right? And it was it was PC DJ dissing, right? That that influenced our gang culture and represented it. So I think, honestly, mate, it was massive. It was fundamental or that. What you know the what fuck mean? is dissing? Just for me and anyone else that has no fucking clue what this is. Is it Mate, just like so rap battling like, or is it? No, no, no. So all these PC DJs, right, would like make wee tunes. So there was dance tunes, right? And yeah. it would mix like mega mixes, acapellas for it, right? It was very basic stuff. But see, back then it was like, these guys were like fucking Tiesto. Like Gary McKeith was a fucking idol. I love that fucking guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? And basically then the gangs would start dissing each other. Do you know what I mean? So, um... Who the fuck is DJ Campbell? And like, no, I mean, it would go on for air and blah, 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 blah. I've actually, I know him, man, so I'm just saying that. <laughs> the worst, yeah. Uh, Shane... ones, do you know what I mean? And fuck, 
Oh, it was brilliant, man. It's basically just hip hop dissing, but via the uh, via dance music, but bedroom DJs doing it for their scheme representation. It was it was funny as fuck. These <laughs> these these uh, these DJs like Gary McEffie. They were talking about he's he's actually became a DJ now. He's making money off it, you know. So like Danny said about um, getting into the creative arts without even knowing it. A few of them have turned uh, turned into a career. I Paul Zitkus has got the I Am A Raver, man. That's his his organisation, and they go all over, man. And I've met, I've actually spoken to most of those boys, right, because they're doing the young team, because they're all mentioned in the book. Um, and so it's amazing, man. You make the connections. But the next book, I would say that they'll they'll be involved in somewhere or another. You uh, need to launch that an actual rave, don't you? Mate, honestly, <laughs> like, see, do you know what was laughing, right? I was speaking to a TV guy, right, and he's talking about the vision about the young team and all that, and he was like, do you know how fucking expensive fucking some of those scenes you've written are to actually shoot? And I was laughing, and I'm like, wait till you see the next one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, we, is that we, happening then? Sorry. Mate, there, I, there, there's, there's lots happening around. People are reading the young team, like, why to adapt it. Um, so I exciting stuff. I won't name any names or organisations or anything, but I mate, there's definite progress. Nice, nice. Sorry, Danny, you're gonna say no, something. No, I'm just. I was thinking out loud. There. I just. I really want to get DJ Rankin or DJ Pulse on this podcast now because they fucking do it. I would fucking watch that. Honestly, uh, fuck me. Does anybody know who DJ Rankin actually is? I Gordon Rankin, mate. For Falker, mate. He's still. He's still one of them. Do you know what I mean? He's doing his own tracks now, man. Like, not just, like, fucking, you know, PC DJing, man. Like, actually making tracks, do you know what I mean? And they're on fucking Spotify and all that. There must have been a... When ringtones first became a thing, probably about 95% of every teenager's mobile phone would have started with DJ Rankin in the mix, motherfucker. And (laughs) (laughs) they just went... (laughs) Uh, Listen, mate, uh, there's uh, a... There's only one more question I want to ask you, and then we'll wrap mm-hmm. up. It's uh, just because you're such a solid advocate of this and you're spreading the message throughout the community, it's just going back to that Christmas Day thing again. For anyone yeah. that is struggling, just take us through the, you know, your coping mechanisms and what you uh, held on to to keep you staying strong throughout that period of coming off drugs, coming off drink. So, mate, I'd tried numerous probably four or five times to get off drugs and drink right and i just couldn't do it alone do you know what i mean and like every time i would do it and i would just recess right and it wasn't just a case of this mechanical thing right so when i talk about it try to get off drugs was like a, a routine do you know what i mean it was like right you would get rid of all your drugs you'd fucking delete all your fucking drug dealers numbers at the phone you would just do all these wee practical things and then you would do it right but with foot something to build on a foundation it just crumbled and i would go back right when I found, and I, don't, I don't like saying I found God, you sound like a fucking, you know, Mormon in America or something, or, do you know what I mean? Like a fanatic. It's not like that, do you know what I mean? I just, I felt that I wasn't alone, do you know what I mean? I, I started praying and all that, and then I felt like that is a foundation to build on, right? It was solid, do you know what I mean? It never moved, it was like an anchor, mate, like a rock, you know what I mean? And then I always felt to myself, right? When I done it on my own, I couldn't do it. When I done it with spiritual help, I done it and I managed it and I stuck it. Now that's not for everybody, by the way. And I'm not like a minister trying to convert people. I'm not a missionary. Do you know what I mean? All I'm saying is just don't close your mind to the possibility. You know what I mean? I was a fucking thug, a drug addict, a head. You would cross the street to get away from me when I was that age, and there I was on my knees, on my own, praying. And sorry, I'm asked for help, my daughter, mate. You know what I mean? So anybody that's in that space, don't rule it out. 
Yeah. What you're saying so, sounds a lot like um without saying God, the higher power that's spoken about in a lot of the rooms that people go to, the you know, AA, GA, uh, any, you know, and that there's nothing to be ashamed of taking strength from a spiritual presence to guide you through. For sure. No, definitely not, mate. And like honestly, like, I've had loads of chances to be embarrassed or deny it. And it gives you great power, mate. And see when somebody is fucking struggling, by the way, and just to tell them you're not alone. Know what I mean? And whatever you mean for that, right? Whether it's fellowship where you're common man, right? Where it's you seek help with other people or whether you seek help for God, whatever. And by the way, I'm not talking about Catholic and Protestant or Muslim, I'm talking about all gods, whatever your God is, you know what I mean? I'm talking about religion, whatever that may be, you know. Brilliant. And uh, that's not the final question. I'll throw that over to Shane before we give you a last chance to plug the book. Shane, no, final question. You can't, can't go, Faith. Sorry, no. <laughs> Even I we have to. Oh, people, wow. people, ex- people expect it from us, mate. <laughs> um, all right, Graham. Um, if you were to murder someone and get away with it, how would you do it? What would you do to get away with murder? Well, I tell you about when I... <laughs> I'm only <joking. laughs> um, I wouldn't fucking tell anybody about it, that's for sure. Layer cake. I would go fucking layer cake. Don't tell anybody. Um, but, mate, I'm a, I'm a very peaceful man. I would never murder anybody, you know what I mean? That's, Again. Fa- that's fair enough. He's done it. He's done it. <laughs> I mean, what? I'm in violence prevention. I can't fucking be insane about you. I was going to say, that's our soundbite, eh? That's the yeah. one we chuck out to the world. <laughs> so, like, I would do an apology, a nice apology <laughs> This That would get me off there. <laughs> oh, mate, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, getting to talk to you. And one of the one of the good things about this is well, we're seeing you lots of places right now, and rightly so, because someone that's created a piece of work like yourself should be speaking to uh, everyone and getting that uh, that piece of work out there. So I, I got it from Waterstones. Um, and I, I always say, we, we said this when Chris McCoo was on, go and buy the actual book because the offer gets more money than if you buy it off Amazon. So go out there and do it. Um, you want to tell us all the places you can get it? Any good bookshop, mate. Honestly, people message me sometimes and say, where where most benefits you to buy the book? And I say, honestly, so kind. Buy it anywhere you like. Buy it the cheapest you can get it. No, I mean? As long as you read it, and then when you're done with it, pass it on to somebody who needs it. No, I mean? That's what I'm all about, mate. No, I mean? So thank you, guys. It's been an absolute pleasure. Brilliant, no, mate. Thank Appreciate you. that. Thank and um, we'll send you DJ Rankin's phone number once we get him on, okay? Mate, do that, man. Get us together. <laughs> I would love to shake his hand, man. I was listening to DJ Rankin today. I love all that. <laughs> oh, honestly, I can't wait. That's, that's my next goal. Nah, but brilliant, mate. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having yeah, me. Cheers, Gamble. Thank you. All the best. That was Drunk Therapy. If you enjoyed this podcast, go listen to some of the other ones. The old you would have. If you're on socials, like us there as well. Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Drunk Therapy. It's something weird on Twitter, which I can't remember right now.